So this intention thing is pretty powerful. What we're doing here is just bringing our unconscious intent into the room. So I do not warn you, but tell you be conscious of what you're writing down. Because when there's a group energy like this and we have some powerful healers here with us, um, stuff manifests. So my intention always in these gatherings is this, which is to burn away all that does not serve us. So behaviors, patterns, people in our lives. And to remember who we are. And we'll get more into that. The thing that I've been adding recently, because it's such a strong intention that it can kick your ass, is in a gentle and loving manner. The first time I made this intention, I was in India 12, 15 years ago. And you know, you're in these ashrams and your heart's open, Ramana Maharshi's ashram, I'm like, oh, burn away whatever doesn't serve me. And I come back to New York and my life turned upside down within like three months. Divorce, nervous breakdown. So intentions are very powerful. It's just that the ego that's intending it doesn't realize that it's going to go on a firing line and get shot. So that gentle, loving manner is an important thing to put in there. So let's just drop into our bodies. So I know everybody's here, but the minds are not quite present yet. So just feel your hands, feel your feet. Hear the sounds outside. Feel your hands touching each other. Relax your face. Soften your belly. While keeping this awareness, just gently open your eyes and just feel the difference between two minutes ago and what you're feeling now. If we really trusted, we would just sit quietly here for three days and all kinds of things would happen, lots of change would happen. But of course, none of us trust, so who are we kidding? So I'm going to have to sit here and make these monkey sounds, yabber, yabber, yabber. You're going to nod your heads and be like, what the hell is he talking about? But the same transformation is going to happen. Three things I ask you over these three days. I know there are a lot of powerful people here, people's energies, whether in your professional lives or healers here, therapists. Leave your shtick at the door. So whatever your thing is, if you're psychic and you can read people, leave that outside. We're going to talk about why that is, because we all have these personas that we've developed as defense mechanisms. So if you're a very wise financial person and know what's going to happen in the next six months economically, unless someone asks you, leave that at door. 
The second thing is to stay present like this in the body. It'll be very hard because we're all very anxious. So you'll do it for two seconds. You're going to be thinking about dinner tomorrow night and how the hell you can get out of Omega and get a steak or whatever your thing is. <laughs> the third thing is be aware of the anxiety that's underlying all of us. The one thing I've learned 25 years of watching the human freak show under a microscope as a healer is that we're all anxious. So regardless of the face, whether we're strong, we're weak, we're whatever, funny, it's all anxiety. So if you get one thing out of this weekend, just make friends with this anxiety, even just for two seconds at a time. Now, I went to the bookstore down there, which is amazing. It's a really great bookstore. If America burns down, they keep that bookstore, we'll be okay. <laughs> one of my favorite contemporary teachers has got this book called My Secret is Silence, or Silence is My Secret or something. And then it's got five books next to it. You do get how funny that is. Silence is my secret, five volumes. Well, if silence is your secret, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? But it happens that the nature of what we're talking about this weekend, it's so difficult, right? The first line of Tao Te Ching, those who speak do not know, those who know do not speak. Those of you who've had profound experiences, whether at childbirth, natural, ayahuasca, done acid, mushrooms, had a profound experience with beauty, you know that moment when you touch that truth, you can't talk, right? You ever seen someone who's having a profound experience? They're trying to talk. Blah, 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 blah. You try to explain to someone what a journey is like ayahuasca who's never done it. It's impossible. So I just want to say that and put that out, that what we're trying to talk about is very difficult, first. Secondly, the shadow stuff is really not pleasant. None of us want to admit that we're fucked up, that we have these issues, that we have these idealized self-images that we protect and project outwards. The closest way that we can get to it is actually by the projection. So already around the room, we've looked around, we've judged each other. This person is too skinny, this person is too this, this person is wearing the wrong color. I love this person, this person is hot. Whatever the thing is, that's about the closest you're going to get to how distorted your image of reality is. With me so far? So... Keeping all those things in mind. Come on in. Hi. How are you? Good, thanks. I am late. No worries. Um, as we're going along here, I want you to write down on that piece of paper your intentions for this weekend, just for you. Before I forget, so what we're doing with this thing, part of my shamanic training, I'm going to tell you about a little bit about my past history before I went to prison. Part of my shamanic history, that was a joke. Part of my shamanic history... Um, Part of my history as a healer is training with shamans. We're not allowed to light candles in this room because I guess somebody must have burnt one of these cottages down. So we're going to have that candle there. In your mind, it's lit. The intention of that candle is just awareness, right? You guys know like a mezuzah at the door when you kiss it. It's all about intention and awareness. So it's about presence. We've lost these things in our culture. So shamanically, it's about that. How are you? You are. Um... What are we going to do with these intentions? We're going to hold them. We can add stuff to them, subtract stuff to them. Is at the end, we're going to burn them. Now, those of you who have done fire ceremonies before, especially when there's a group of people like this that are pretty powerful, know that it's pretty serious business. It does shift things. So I do want to bring your consciousness. I don't like to use fear words, but 
it's pretty intense. So do write down what you're serious about. If you're not ready to let something go, don't write it down. There's no gold stars given for uh, hammering yourself through. Right? So have compassion on yourself. This weekend, the one thing I want to share with you, as someone whose path had fuck all compassion, is have some compassion on yourself. And as I sit around and look at this room, there's not a lot of compassion. I can kind of tell having done this work, compassion isn't the first thing that jumps up with looking at any of you guys. You guys are all hardcore, <laughs> kick-ass, <laughs> Marine Corps people. So be gentle. There's such intense times that we're living under now. So whatever part of all of us that called us to be together at this intense time, these last two weeks really have been some of the most intense for me as a clinician. Like those of you who are healers I know in here, we've talked. It's been a really intense time. I mean, our souls, whatever word you want to use for it, I'm not a new agey guy, but that higher consciousness doesn't give a damn about the personality. So here you are an hour ago, six hours ago, going, I'm just going to hang out this week. I've got to go to this class. Why? thousand classes just well we get called we're getting we're getting forced so again it goes back to that thing everybody in here has a piece of the puzzle for everybody else I'm just a monkey up here doing the mouthpiece but you all have a piece of the puzzle for each other so part of that being in your bodies will open up the energy so we can all give the gifts that we have for each other with me or against me okay so we will burn these at the end do adjust them as we go along. So, let's start at the beginning. You come to this world, you're born. The first thing that happens is you get your ass kicked. Because you come and you're like, yes! And your parents are like, nope, that doesn't work for me. Whatever that thing is. The thing that gets crushed in you is the dance that you do the rest of your life unconsciously. You can intellectually understand this stuff, it'll make no difference. That's why you can do 40 years of therapy and still have the same patterns. You can intellectually understand it, but internally have the same thing. I came across this really interesting stuff called the Pathwork Lectures. Some of you might know it. Not that it's anything unique, but it is unique in a way, even though it's very poorly written. One of the most profound things that I came across was the idea of the idealized self-image. Different psychotherapy, Groups have different versions of it, but this one's pretty clear and cool in that we'd kill off aspects of ourselves that aren't getting fed by our parents. An example is a better way of saying it because it gets very detailed. I had a client this week. She's a caretaker. Her whole life she takes care of every person, lovers, friends, blah, blah, blah. So she's in this marriage waking up going like, I hate this thing. i am just got a child. And my husband wants to have a kid, but I already have a child. She has a distinct memory of being five years old, playing with her doll, and, her, and they were at some shelter, I think, and the mother goes to her, you're so selfish, give up that doll. And having this distinct feeling of shame, I want this thing, I'm ashamed, I can't have a need. So here she is in her 40s, being in a place of caretaking. It's literally that powerful. Now, for the adult part of us sitting in here, you have to kind of drop into that child self. For most of us, if somebody says something to you right now, it will be a little bit painful, but you're not going to get devastated. As a child, your life depends on that love. Do you understand? So it's not an intellectual thing like if your parents don't love you. Your life depends on that love. So if you have an animal, if any of you have a dog or a cat, you understand that relationship. It's a very direct connection. So we kill off these parts of ourselves. And then it gets sublimated, 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 
till 20 years later, 30 years later, 40 years later, you're doing these patterns that don't feed you, but you're doing them. Clear so far? Something that's interesting, that's another pathwork concept, is the idea of negative pleasure. So not only do you have to kill this part of yourself, but as a child it's so painful that you have to attach pleasure to it. So I gotta give this thing up. Yikes, I don't wanna give it up. So you take your life principle, your pleasure principle, which is usually sexual energy, and you attach it to it. So now all of a sudden it's like, not only I don't wanna do this, oh, I really wanna do this. Wow, it really feels good. So if in your life you're having situations in relationships, manifesting, not manifesting, work stuff, money stuff, it always ties into this initial concept, which is a reality. And it's really wild. It can take decades and decades and decades. I treat people who've had 20 years of Freudian analysis, very bright, they get it, they totally understand, nothing changes. You do some body work, all this emotion comes out. Emotions are the gateway to the soul. So the emotional charge that comes up, that's the smoke that leads to the fire, not this thing. The intelligence part of you is actually the defense mechanism. So usually you take the strongest muscle that you have. If you're a smart person, you get really, really smart. That's why intellectuals are the most miserable people you ever meet. You ever notice people who are like, know the arts and can talk to you about anything, and they're just, and they're just like really miserable. They're just not fun people. That's been my experience. And why is that? Because they go into this upstairs, they lock all the doors, and they're like up here. And they usually don't tend to be compassionate people because they're so brutal with themselves. So they can talk the talk. Oh, you know, people are dying in India, man. But the way they treat themselves is like a Nazi, right? Very strict, very anal. It's that kind of, because you're trying to shove all this stuff down. Flip side is you can just let it all go, right? You can be totally like, I don't care. It's all good. The universe is fine. That's a very new agey thing. That's the patchouli part of it. Don't mean to insult anyone wearing patchouli, but that's that new agey part of our culture. Now, how did I get into this stuff? I've been a clinician for 25 years. I'm a therapist, acupuncturist. Like I told you, I've been trained shamanically. What's been amazing for me is observing how the spiritual movement in this culture has been co-opted by the system that we live in. So you had the hippie movement, which was counterculture. It got co-opted by this culture and became mainstream. It was something that was very threatening, right? It was something that really threatened love, peace. It's like pretty serious stuff. I mean, Christ talked about this stuff and look where he ended up. And we haven't come that far from it. Then you had the punk movement. Anti-consumer, we're against consumerism, which was sort of what I was raised under. And I remember walking by Fiorucci one time. All of a sudden, you could buy a leather jacket for 400 bucks. And that was like 1980. 400 bucks was a lot of money. It was like unbelievable. This has gotten co-opted. The spiritual movement is the same thing. The spiritual movement has been co-opted by the same culture because this culture has an intelligence. It doesn't want to die. So anything that threatens it gets co-opted. So what's amazing for me, so interesting, is how people will do all kinds of things, spiritual, and actually get further away from themselves. So this book that I wrote, part of my training when I was very young, 23, I was working in South Bronx and the AIDS epidemic was starting. It wasn't even called AIDS then. They didn't, they didn't know what to call it. And I watched a lot of young men die. And that's when I started realizing that the philosophy stuff means nothing. People can have all kinds of flowery ideas. It's only direct experience. 
that gets you there. What I'm seeing now, I just had an email from a colleague of mine laughing. He had sent a friend of his to this 10-day meditation retreat. And the friend, the whole thing he could say was, this is bullshit. These people are so poorly run. This is horrible. The food is horrible. You can go sit for 10 days, for 8 to 10 hours a day, and you come out with how bullshit the food is. That's us. That's all of us. That's our egos. Right? So we are walking blind. And it's the blind leading the blind in our culture. Now, my way is not your way. I hope to God it's not your way, because my way hasn't been easy. But you have to figure out what your way is. There are certain general things that apply to all of us. Whether you believe it or not, it's a part of it. That's what I want to bring out over this weekend, to shed some light on it, look at it. It's not pleasant. That's why we don't do it. Right, we can even use the shadow work as a way of glorifying the ego. Any questions so far? Come on. You got all that? Perfectly clear? Now, when you say co-opted, do you mean like they take it over and make it their own? Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's not even it, because I used to think, you know, I'm such a paranoid Live in a third world, man. You've got to be paranoid. That's how you do it. Um, the culture has an intelligence. So there's definitely an it, right? I mean, you have this consumer culture. Yeah, well, there's society, and there's a consciousness in society that doesn't want to change. I mean, are, are you catching what's going on, right? I mean, we're like in Russia right now. Pravda, like 1965. 75% of the oil is finished. Mother Nature's working over time. Like, no scientist can go near this oil spill, but all of a sudden, they spit out this thing. 75% of the oil mess um, is done. Like, it doesn't ring a bell for anyone. Like, how is that possible? It's like, even scientifically, like, how is this possible? That's the culture we're living on. The disconnect, we've become so numb, we've become so dissociated, right? We all know, like, everybody sitting in this room, it doesn't matter if you're a healer, you're a mother, you're a father, you know something's going on, right? You, un you understand that things are different. Right, even in the last year. Now, some of us run underneath, like, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. No one knows what the future is, but you feel something is up. And yet, everyone's kind of trying to act like everything is normal. Economy is normal, man. Just go back to sleep. Everything's cool. Those of you who live in New York City, I'm sure you're walking around. It looks different, right? I mean, like, freaking every other store is, like, close. It's like it reminds me of the 70s in the city. Where is the reality? Where... That's just on a macro level. But we're all a part of that co-op thing because the ego doesn't want to die. The ego is phenomenal that way. It'll use anything to glorify itself. And we will talk about that. There's some specific practices we can do to bring that up. I know a couple of you in here have had life-challenging illnesses and have been close to death. And it's amazing how that's about the only place that one can really say honestly that you can face this stuff. And it's amazing how when that threat is lifted, people go right back. And it's not a judgment, it's just how we're, we're all in that same place. You feeling your bodies? It's amazing that, right? So, when I, before I started doing acupuncture, I used to teach meditation with biofeedback. Biofeedback is basically this phenomenon where you use these instruments, you attach people's physiology, it measures skin temperature, skin conductance, which is sweating, you get nervous, you sweat and brain waves. So interesting that no one does the brain waves anymore. It's like part of what's happening with the culture. So when you get nervous, your hands get cold, 
So whenever you're nervous, if your hands are cold, that means your body's in this fight or flight mode. The reason your hands get cold is if you get bit by an animal, you don't bleed to death. Your hands get sweaty because your nervous system is ready to fight this animal. Breathing gets shallow and your brain goes into super beta. Now one of the interesting things when I was doing this, I was working with chronic pain patients at the time, teaching them to relax their bodies. I've been a martial artist for a long time, and I used to bring my martial artist buddies, a lot of them were Zen practitioners, men and women who had done Zen five years, ten years, and I'd say, yeah, let's check it out, let's see how you're doing with your meditation. Nobody was meditating. I'm meditating. I'm like, um, no, actually, I got the machine hooked up to you. You're all betas. No, I'm meditating. I've been doing Zen five years. It's like, well, first, take that stick out of your ass. Secondly, you're not meditating. You're actually in beta. So the gift of these equipment was like, oh, my God, no one's meditating. So I started playing around with this stuff myself. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm not meditating. I thought I was meditating. So one of the things that I learned with the machines was just what I taught you is actually the most direct way to get someone to drop in. Now, it's very interesting. What we're doing right now by feeling our bodies, it's so many levels. It's so interesting. From an energetic perspective, Chinese medicine, Japanese medicine, where your awareness is is where the energy flows. So the whole idea in martial arts, when you do a strike, the mind is in the hand, the energy goes there. So when you're feeling your body, you're giving yourself a treatment. From a nervous system perspective, if I tell you try to relax, oxymoron, how can you try to relax? If I say to you, feel your hands and feet, boom, the body goes into relaxation mode. Thirdly, from all spiritual practices, everyone talks about being in the moment, being in the moment, the God's in the moment, Jesus is in the moment, Muhammad's in the moment, being in the moment. We're never in the moment. So it's the same universal truth, right? Optimum energy flow, optimum nervous system slash immune system, optimum being in this moment. Now here's the kicker. Your body cannot distinguish between thought and reality. There's this evolutionary lag where if I can sit here for two seconds and think about my drive up here on that road where I almost got run over by a SUV, my body will go right there. This is amazing when you put people on these machines and observe them. They've done real-time immunoassay where they actually take people's blood and study it and say, okay, I want you to really think about something really traumatic that happened to you at 10 years of age. Literally, your blood chemistry changes. This is like really serious business, right? So we're all running around taking vitamins, doing this, doing that. We're constantly damaging ourselves by this thinking process. So thinking isn't free. The place that it gets even more complicated is when you have these disconnections from your childhood. The first drug that you use is thinking. The first way that you dissociate from reality is thinking. If you look at children, those of you who been around kids, children are born and they breathe abdominally. By the ages of two to four, depending how crazy the family situation is, they become from a biological system into a social being and they start doing this. And you see how most of us breathe, even though a lot of you know meditate, we work out. We're actually shallow breathers. When you breathe this way, you're taking half a pint of oxygen. When you breathe in this way, you're taking half a gallon. If you don't breathe four minutes, you die. Single most important thing, no one does it. So the first way that we disconnect from reality before we find food and sex and drugs and blah, blah, blah is thinking. Whenever you're thinking, you're not feeling. Whenever you're not feeling, you're disconnecting. Now, any of you in any big city now, people are living more and more in a virtual world. So before we had our, okay, people like my age are almost 50, 
at our time, it was like magazines. If you had a comic book, then you're growing up, it was like a car magazine, bike magazine. Now people are actually living a majority of their life. It's amazing. In the city, this week I saw a skateboarder on his iPhone, a bicycle rider. That was a new one on me. On the iPhone, and then, you know, constantly bumping into people who are just disconnected. So the level of disconnection, all this idea, technology, technology will save us, we use everything to disconnect. Now, here's an interesting fact. Biologically, before the schnagen up here, this brain, gray matter developed, which is only 200 years old, you read more now, literally on a Sunday Times, than people read their whole lives, even 100, 150 years ago. You probably read more just right now than some people will read their whole lives in different parts of the world. This thing is 200 years old. Before this brain was developed, you know why I talk about gut feelings? Your gut was your original way of intelligence. You actually have neurotransmitters, neuropeptides in your gut that they're the same ones that are in your brain. One of the things that I found when you're navigating these waters, especially with how crazy things are these days, is trusting your gut feeling. It takes a while to trust it. For all of you, if you look back to a situation with a friend, a partner, unsavory situation, you always knew. People go, it's not that you're some psychic, although everybody has that. It's your gut feeling. You actually have that capacity to feel in your gut. So one of the things that I want you to take away from this weekend is feel in your gut. As things get crazier out there and things happen faster and faster, this meat suit is a million and a half years old. It's a lot of intelligence in it. We're such a culture that doesn't understand that, so we just ride this thing that's 200 years old. Right? I mean, if you kind of looked at two things, a million and a half years old, 200, you would always go with the one that's hopefully a million and a half years old. But of course, you don't every day because you're constantly going with the one that's 200 years old. So this feeling the body, really important. For me, that's what I practice all day long. If you take one thing and that's it this weekend, take that. Everything is there. The breath is the next important thing. Now, the breathing isn't, most people try to inhale. The breathing is because you have stale air in your lungs. You're not exhaling all the way. So the first thing you want to work with with the breath is to actually exhale all the way. So this stuff sounds so simple. I treat people who have been yogis and martial artists 30 years, 25 years. They don't practice. It's deep. I mean, again, you practice this five minutes a day. It will transform everything inside of you. Because it quiets the mind. It forces the mind to quieten. You can't quieten the mind. The mind has its own speed, but it actually slows the system down. Now, the trick with the breathing is most people don't exhale enough, so they're trying to breathe on top of stale air. The first thing is you want to actually focus on exhaling all the way. So one thing I just want to do for a couple of minutes here is just work on that. Is that okay with everyone? Now, the first thing is just pay attention to where your breath is. It's probably in your chest. So just breathe out, take a deep breath. <coughs> this time when you breathe out, exhale. When you've done exhaling, actually start counting on, with moving your tongue. What that does is actually allows the lungs to exhale the air without forcing your muscles to tighten. So you breathe in, belly, breathe out, one, two, three, four. And then you breathe in again. So that makes sure that all this stuff is still relaxed while you're doing this. Does it make sense? You clear?
do it a couple of couple of rounds and just feel that. Meanwhile, relax your shoulders, relax your jaw. you feel a difference in your body? Pay attention to actually say something. See how much deeper your voice is. Just say a word or two. Feel it? That's just the relaxation response. It's incredible, right? I mean, we just do that for a minute or two. So what happens is, from a Chinese perspective, in Chinese medicine, they talk about liver energy getting constricted. It's a very modern-day thing where the, as the energy is constricted, the voice gets tighter, shoulders come up, jaws get tight. So this automatically releases it. Right? This is free. You don't have to take vitamins. You don't have to shave your head, although some of you guys are close. You don't have to follow anyone. It's a universal truth. There is a reason why every spiritual practice uses the breath as grounding. It works. Right? And it's not, you don't have to attach any mumbo-jumbo to it. Just practice it. Why won't you do it? Why won't I do it? Because it makes us anxious. It goes back to the anxiety thing. I treat people, I've treated people, I know people who do the most amazing things, amazing people in their fields, raise four kids, surgeons, blah, 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 blah. They can do everything. They can't meditate because it's really difficult. Why is it difficult? Because it brings up anxiety. I treat people who meditate. They're like Nazis, like that kind of Zen, straight back, beautiful, sitting like that. There's nobody home. I guarantee you, you hook that equipment to them, there's nobody home. So this is an interesting thing about this spiritual practice. It's so simple. We've gotten so lost looking for clothes to wear because we've lost our identity. My sense is as a clinician that really that stops coming to an end. Not that you can't practice anything, but your true nature is calling you out. We've lived, especially in our culture, we've had the gift of individuation and hyper-individuation. Right? You live in cultures where cultures I was raised in, in Nigeria, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, you have eight people living in one room. I mean, your great-grandmother is like, you know, wondering why you're constipated. It's not a lot of freedom. They're like, how many times did you go to the bathroom? It's all like this. In this culture, we've gone so far the other way, we're getting called back. Mastery is, to me, I think that's a really cool life to live, where you have this, you can actually know your oneness, but you don't become a cookie cutter. You do your thing. You dress the way you dress. you into what you're into. You're not following any path. You don't have to shave your head or be this or be that. 
these old systems aren't really working anymore. One of the things that I talk about in the book is the amount of abuse I've seen, and this ties into the shadow stuff, with spiritual circles. Why? We've wholesale imported, mostly from the East, Far East, East Asia, these systems without really questioning them. As people who live in a post-Freudian world, right? I'm sure all of you have had a thought or two about how your parents fucked you up. Really, in ancient Japan, you really didn't have that ability. India, ancient India, really didn't have the ability. Women weren't really considered equals of men in any of these systems. And it's amazing how we don't take these things into account. We pull these things in, and then all this stuff continually happens. My first experience with teaching was studying with this native Indian, very powerful guy, did fire ceremonies. I used to, actually used to come not far from here. I used to come from the city, fill up a van full of this one. I was used to treat a lot of junkies, fill up a van full of junkies and drive them up at five in the morning, come up in the woods, would cut trees down, you know, make a big fire and do a nipi, do a, do a sweat lodge. Amazing. Everybody was getting cleansed. Everybody was, well, this guy was really powerful. The first time I knew something's off with this guy, I was like, yeah, we should chip in and buy something for this guy. He's so sweet, never accepts any money. Let's take him down to Canal Street, buy him a chainsaw, because he's cutting the wood. And all of a sudden, he's acting like a total asshole. I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. Like, I'm thinking, oh, Lakota Indian, Highland. He's like strutting, cursing people, and flipping off cabbies. I'm like, that's interesting. But of course, I don't trust it. Oh, he's, 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 he's an Indian. He's, he's a master. He's doing my... Oh. One of the women in the group becomes pregnant by this man and this man doesn't want to take any responsibility for it. So I confront this guy. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this is insane. We, we trusted you. We came here. This stuff's going on. He said something really powerful to me. He's actually very honest. Basically, without calling me an idiot, he called me an idiot. He says, you have to understand, the person I am in this nipi is not the man that I am outside. When I walk into the circle, Spirit moves through me. When I'm outside of the circle, I'm Joe Blow. Joe Blow, born in the res, listen to hip-hop, love girls. It was like, wow, I got schooled. What we're looking for, I think I can speak for you, what we think, we kind of think that if someone's on that mat teaching yoga, if someone's in that nipi doing that, if someone's in the synagogue, in the church, that they have that same energy outside as they have inside. Right? I mean, you kind of would think that, or maybe you're more mature than me. That's usually what I would think. That's what I would hope. That's what I try to do myself. The reason we get burnt over and over is this projection thing, which ties into the shadow stuff that we're talking about. So good time to talk about the shadow. Spiritual people have the biggest shadows of anyone. Right? Jung used to say, you don't become enlightened by envisioning figurines of light. You get enlightened by looking at the dark. This is really lost on this culture. I even look at some of the shadow work that people are doing, and it's like this sort of like, da-da-da-da-da, woo, we're doing shadow work. Yeah, go shadow, team shadow. <laughs> shadow work's not fun. It's painful. I knew it would be. Pardon? I knew this would have some pain to it. It has it's to. It's a brave workshop to it, come to. It's a thank you. It's a brave it, workshop. It's a very brave workshop. Yes, it took bravery to Beautiful. When you say that to me, I know we're in good hands. Because I know everybody here, a part of you knows that. 
people don't want to do the shadow work. You know? That book, I'm not attached to that book. Do you know how many people that read that book? I have a lot of connections because I have good friends in the publishing world. I couldn't get that book published. I had to publish it myself because every publisher, I have friends who are like big shots in the publishing world, just buddies. Hey, I'm going to hook you up, man. These people were like, there's no fucking way we're going to publish that. No one wants to hear this stuff. So after a year of showing it to people, literally, I mean, I wrote it in the book. The guy's like, well, where's the 10 steps? I'm like, 10 steps? Like, it's, what are you talking about? No, there's got to be a 10 or 12 steps where we can sell this stuff. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's a level of our culture. People don't want to look at this stuff. So even though I can get into, the, into all these people's whatever to read the book, they're like, we don't want anything to do with this. They're not mean. These people aren't stupid. These people are in the business of selling books. They understand that people don't want to look at this. It's not personal. So they're like, let's sugarcoat it. I'm like, well, it's really hard to take a piece of shit and put sugar on it, but we can try, but I, don't, I think it's still going to smell like shit. That's my personal opinion. But they're still in this mind of like, we're going to actually sugarcoat this and get it out there. So what you're saying is absolutely correct because, oh, you know what? There's someone better than me. This is when you can actually do shadow work. This was a letter that someone that I work with wrote with me. Amazing woman, really sweet young kid, you know, wrote this like in her late 20s. When she met me, she was one of these really new agey people. Just found, you know, just, just found the magic. This is it, man. Always trying to tell me, hey, you do this, it'll be great. I'm like, okay. I'm like the old dog and the young puppy's like, come on, let's play. I'm like, oh, fuck it, man. Leave me alone. For a year and a half, two years, I keep talking to this person. Like, um, you got to look at your shadow. It's not all light. It's not all, uh, it's not all this stuff. She's like, no, but I did this workshop. I did that workshop. I have hit a very important wall. A wall that for so long I thought I could work away or fix away, or diet away, or fast away, or form away, or travel away from. But I know that trying to fix something on the outside, hoping for a lasting shift on the inside, doesn't work. It doesn't work because I've tried it. I've pretty much tried every external way I know how to fix these feelings and to fix myself, except become a raging alcoholic or drug addict, which really isn't any different from starving myself, which I have done. Except for the fact that starving yourself seems to be in these days. And I'm over trying to get away from the feeling of inadequacy, fear, and judgment. The ones that drive me to overcompensate and fill my plate and overwhelm myself with tasks in order to avoid going into the depths of these emotions. I want to look at them head on. No more crutches. To tell you the truth, I'm just so tired of trying to change my external reality, hoping that it will shift the inner. And I know that the next thing is not going to be the thing to make that shift happen. I see that the shift I'm looking for will come from the inside. If it is to have any lasting impact, it has to. And that is scary because I have to let go of my crutches and I have to finally go to the place I sometimes write about but avoid going all the way. I'm ready to know my shadow and I'm ready to make friends with it and try and understand what and why I've been trying to get rid of for so long. It is hard for me to reach out for help because I'm geared to do things alone. But I'm ready. And I will do whatever it takes because that's what I'm here to do, to heal this shit. I want to go all the way into the wounds. I want to stop bandaging them up. Do you feel that? It's really painful. So yes, you're right. This is the only time. The rest is just playing. Now, I have nothing to sell you here. 
Your way is your way. If you want to play in this realm and you're not in pain, God bless you, play. As someone who's in people's heads for 25 years, I don't see a lot of pain who are not in pain, a lot of people who are not in pain. I've lived in countries where people, all they owned was a bed and one pot for the whole family. They had more peace than the people that I treat who have a lot, a lot more. I'm not judging it. I'm just saying, we're in a lot of pain. And because we're in pain, we project this outward, the way we treat each other, starts with ourselves, but the way we treat each other, the way we treat nature, all this stuff that all these spiritual teachers, men and women have been trying to teach us, hasn't really worked, right? I mean, Christ, whether he was real, he's not, I'm not going to get into that thing. It was a powerful thing. This man comes and says, the divine feminine, forgive each other. When you consider all the wars that's been done just for, in terms of Christianity, crusade, you're talking 500 million people have been killed. That's the shadow. That's not looking at it. That's projecting stuff outside. How did this girl become like this? So this young woman is the story of all of us. Born into a family. Father checks out really early. Got younger siblings. She becomes alpha woman. At a young age, she goes into caretaking mode, so she pushes all her needs away. Works at age 13, 14, trying to shop for food for the family, blah, blah, blah. Where does that pain come out? Serious eating disorder. So the shadow stuff, these aspects of us, in her case, it was vulnerability. She couldn't be vulnerable, right? She had to step up and be the caretaker because her family was really in need of that. We all do that on some level. That's where the shadow part starts. When we say unconscious, it means unconscious. It means you can't see it. The image of the shadow is really interesting, right? It's like you got the shadow here off of this bottle. It's got no smell. It's got no shape. But it goes everywhere this bottle goes. It's a really amazing, which Jung's idea, it's a very amazing thing. Understand that what we're talking about right now, you have no idea what I'm talking about. If you can wave your head at that, nod your head at that, we're good. If you're nodding, I understand, there's no way, because you don't know what your shadow is. How do we know our shadow is? One of the ways that you know where your shit is, is projections. So you came into this room, there must be something in this room you judged. It could be this amazing decor. It could be, it could be how someone's wearing something. It could be like you really hate bald people. It could be like you really hate hair. What we don't own, owns us. So something that's very interesting that's hard to do internally, you can actually look at countries because countries have shadows too. In America, we're number one. Go America. Everything's great here. Jobs for everyone. Where's our shadow? We have two million people in jail in this country per capita more than Russia, majority of which are African-American and Hispanic. So we have a big shadow. What else do we do with our shadow? Freedom, liberty. We bomb the shit out of every country that's got nothing to do with anything. I'm not, for, I'm not, I'm not a political person. Politics, really, for me, it doesn't make sense because it's about this work. Right? You can Democrat, Republican. I laugh at that stuff. Because of not owning this stuff, we've come into a world which has a finite level, and we're pushing against it. Whereas actually in our lifetime, finally it can happen where food shortages are happening. But I'm not one of these 2012 guys. No one knows the future. 
but our unconsciousness has effect, right? The shadow is there's all this gazillion barrels of oil pouring out, and the paper's like, 75% done, man, Mother Nature, 75% done. It's like, that's the shadow. And everybody wants to believe it. So, how do you see it? The things you don't accept in yourself, I'm sure you have a friend, a sibling, someone in your life that really pisses you off. Do you all, do you, do you all have, have you had that experience in your life where somebody really pisses you off? Every day. All right. <laughs> there's, there's, there's an honest person. There's an honest person. God bless you. It's about owning that part. Right? Just recently, there's this friend of mine who, when I, was, when I got sober, I was a drug addict. So when I got sober, I started hitting the spiritual stuff the way I hit drugs. Man, I was at a seminar every freaking week and every dollar I had. If I wasn't racing, I was doing something spiritual. The addiction was so painful because I wanted to get high off of it because I was using it as a drug, which is what most people do. So this friend of mine is like writing me, hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm, and I started getting pissed off. I was like, what, what, what are you doing, man? What, what, what? I was like, whoa, there's my shadow. That's me. I still haven't fully owned that part of me that was running around from teacher to teacher. and you know, So I'm judging this person. So the thing they say in a 12-step program, when you've got one finger pointing at someone, you've got three f- fingers pointing back, that's that aspect of the projection. So take a minute now, just go inside. Look at where your shadow is, and you can share or not share, but internally look at where your shadow is. Like, where's one aspect of your shadow? I don't need to know that you like to have sex with goats. I'm just talking like something a little bit more simple. Anger, greed, jealousy. And don't scare me by thinking half an hour about it, because I know it's on the surface for all of us. Anger. Great. Talk to me about that. It's really scary when you don't feel anger. You feel a lot all of a sudden, and the anger's always been there. So. Yeah, but I recognize by not, I've, uh, because I've been working, I'm not um, avoiding it. Beautiful. But um, <laughs> I'm really afraid of it because mm. it just gets bigger and bigger every day. It gets bigger and bigger every day, but it's been underneath it. There's a basement here. That anger's been here all along. Yeah. So once you open a door to the basement, that monster rah, comes up. That monster's got to come up. There's three things we do with the emotions. So thank you for bringing it up. One is repress it, most of us. One is act it out. Your typical psycho's always getting pissed off at everything. The third is just to feel it, which none of us do. That's what I choose, just to feel it. Just to feel it. Well, that's amazing. You're, you're in a minority, because most people don't. So for you, I would say... The anger's coming up. Feel it. Get a tennis racket and beat the hell out of a pillow. Move it. Understand that you're actually being the most honest you've ever been. Now, anger is a very specific one, especially for those of us who are healers. The whole archetype of the wounded healer is because we're trying to fix the outside because we have all these issues inside that we haven't dealt with. And we were taught to be a good boy. So when I was a kid, I was raised in these fucked up countries. There's wars, famine. My parents weren't rich. But compared to them, I was a gazillionaire because people had nothing. So my first thing was as a kid, I remember finding my father's files on Biafra. This is during the Biafran War. 
And there was kids dying of kwashiorkor. They're starving, right? Big bellies. I'm like, Dad, what are, if they're starving, why is their stomach so big? And my dad being, you know, not really an educated guy in child rearing is like, well, really the scientific reason is because their whole body is breaking down, eating a protein, which is, you know, insane. So as a kid, I was like, oh my God, I cannot have needs. I am so lucky to be here. I cannot have needs. So at that age, I have no needs. What are you talking about needs? Are you kidding me? I can be shooting dope on eight balls. I got no needs. I'm fine. So we shove that stuff down. But we all do it. When you're a junkie, it's a little bit easier to see. Because when I'm a drug addict, I'm like, well, I'm, you know, you know you got an issue, right? It's a lot harder when you're taking care of people. It's a lot harder when you harness that energy and you're a great therapist, a great healer, helping the needy. Here's a great secret about being a healer. Every healer that I ever met is really fucked up, myself included. And the only time you can trust a healer is when they're working on you is a part of their own awakening. They're not out there to fix you or help you. They're working with you because their enlightenment is intertwined with them waking you up. Does that make sense? Because then is not an ego trip. It's not a thing. And we're equals. Every person here is equal. Man, that's a hard one for the ego. Yeah, but I know. Shut up. Sit down. Because we're all different levels of forgetfulness, but we're really the essence is one. If one could really do that, it's really hard. And that's bullshit, right? This whole new age, you think, hey, we're all one. Yeah, we're all one until push comes to shove and you take the piece of chocolate cookie that I was going to eat. I want to knock your lights out. What do you mean all is one? But right now I can smile and say it's all is one. So for you, with the anger coming up, good on you, takes tremendous courage. Good on you that you can verbalize that scary. And it has an end. It has a bottom. Now, well, all you can do is stay in a moment. All you can do is stay in a moment and seek help. Seek, yeah, well, the brain is actually a defense mechanism against not feeling. Remember, thinking is the first drug that we use. So, justifications, is just a defense mechanism. Right? So right now, you could be having a spiritual experience. Like you, your third eye could be kicking in. It'd be really dangerous. Because you would use that as a way of not feeling. Right. right? So be naked. The thing that I said to you in the beginning, I was really serious about that. I do it myself. When I enter into a group, I really do believe all of you have a piece for all of us. Each one of you will help all of us heal here. Leave who you think you are at that door. Because the real healing happens. You feeling that anger, you're carrying it for all of us. Because some of us here might not really be comfortable with anger, like all of us. So you're carrying that. Somebody else might be holding the grief for the group. These things are really real. I mean, truly, behind the, this mask, we're all one. I mean, really, right? It's just that in this individuation, all that stuff gets forgotten. So you have to be honest. And that anger will tell you what the next moment brings. The shadow work... Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? I mean, that was a really genius thing. It was that. You're really good. You're good. You're good girl. Good girl. Good girl. And then all of a sudden, you're a psychopath at nighttime. This is a thing that I always love, and I always talk about this. I don't, I don't love psychopath killers, but every time there's a psychopath, it's like, he was such a nice guy. He was well, so... They say they have a really nice side, and then that's... That's it. The other side, right? That's the other side. But the niceness is so nice 
you can only be as dark compared to how much light you have. So the more light you become, the more dark you become. That's why I never trust a spiritual person as far as I can throw them. If the spiritual person is like right there with me and if they're smoking or doing something, I can trust them. At least not that smoking is good, but that they're real. When people are really like in that spiritual place, I'm like, whoa, because I've had experiences. Right now, one of my old Zen teachers just got kicked out. Guy's like 80 years old because he's been having sexual affairs with all these women. Now, people have feelings, things happen, blah, 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 blah. As long as it's out in the open, it's consensual. I'm not one of these people like, this is the law, this is the law. But it's amazing how PMS, power, money, sex, keeps coming up in these circles. Why? It's because of the shadow. The shadow is not dealt with. Everyone's into this. It's all light, man. It's all light. It's never light. Beautiful what you're saying. The, the perfection thing, which is actually part of the New Age thing, is very dangerous in that, in that it propagates perfection. There's a, the perfection is actually in the imperfection. If you can hold that imperfection, right? For me as a healer, if I, I used to be really ashamed, right? I've been married and divorced a couple of times. Like every 10 years, I got married and divorced. Not, it's not a hundred times, but you know, like as a kid and then my third, and I was always embarrassed I was like oh my god it's so embarrassing how can I be and one day I was like you know what man I'm fucking human you know what and the funny thing is when I came to this country when I was 15 I was like these Americans man Jesus what you can't just stay with one woman you gotta get married every 10 years what happens get married every 10 years <laughs> so because that's my projection so when I accepted that when I was like you know wow look at that I'm not perfect far from it Got all these really woundings. I was embarrassed about being a junkie. Once I held that, my healing ability went up a hundredfold because I wasn't holding anything back. Wow, I'm human. Okay. It's hard for us to be that vulnerable because we fear judgment. So we all go around protecting. Man, and it takes a lot of work. So what you're saying is so beautiful. The perfection thing takes a lot of energy because we know we can't be perfect. But that doesn't mean we're not going to try to act. Now, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, by the idealized self-image. The idealized self-image is I'm perfect. I'm going to have no needs. I'm going to project this perfection. So this woman that we were talking about earlier, who had her toy yanked from her at a young age, she keeps doing that, trying to be perfect, trying to be perfect. And she is perfect, except she's not happy. She hates her job. She can't taste anything. So it comes to this point where the mask just doesn't fit anymore. What seems to be happening now is that the group gestalt, meaning the society, is kind of whacking us in the head and knocking that mask off. So either you're going to be invited to do it in a loving space, and you listen, and you respond to that, you're the minority. Or there's a two-by-four upside your head, and you get forced into it. The real spiritual work is that. It's like that simple, that difficult. Give up the mask. Now, where do you know what the mask is? The mask is the things that exhaust you. So you're a very giving person, and your door is open to everyone, and you have abundance, and you want to invite everyone to your home. I, was, I used to live in Harlem at this apartment. I bought this apartment in Harlem. This is in the 80s, and I felt really blessed. And, you know, I had more money than like, all my friends, and I was like, you know, I'm going to start detoxing people at home. I mean, I'm doing detox. It's a nice thing to do. You've got to take care of people. All of a sudden, shit was missing from my apartment. People would kind of stay there for a couple of days. And I didn't have much, but like for some of the miss from an apartment, like people used to come to my apartment, but like, have you been robbed? 
I was like, no, this is how I live. I had a couple of futons. And, but shit would be missing. It's like, be like, where's my little carpet? Where's my little candle? This is the part of acting the mask. Well, I'm supposed to be all-encompassing. I have people don't have. It's not enough that I work in a shelter and I treat junkies for five bucks an hour all day long. I've got to bring them home now. This addiction to perfection, this image, which is such an arrogant, arrogant, inhumane way to treat yourself. And I looked like I was dying. People would come like, are you okay, man? Like, you're, you're not well. Are, are you well? I'm fine. What are you talking about? I was like shrinking. Because that addiction to keeping that idealized self-image was so big that the shadow was getting bigger and bigger. Where was the shadow coming out? I've been a martial artist since I was very little. I was getting in fights every day, like verbal or physical. And I lived in these, I worked in the Lower East Side, I worked in the South Bronx, they weren't like good neighborhoods. So I didn't understand why I was so angry. I'm like, I'm trying to be good, I've done these bad things, done this, done that, I'm trying to do the right thing. The shadow gets correspondingly big to how much you repress and try to be good. Sounds obvious, we all do it, we don't listen. The rage would get bigger, I try to be better at work. I'd be better at work, I'd be crazier. Like literally, I'd be like in this loving space. Love you, man. Yeah, great. Come on, up. What are you looking at? <gasps> Immediately. We all have that to some extent. So, we're in the halfway mark of the evening. I want you to take a couple of minutes. Just think about where you're addicted to perfection in your life. Where are you basically full of shit? That your heart's saying, I don't want to invite my sister over to my house. Your heart's saying, I really don't want to go back to Italy for this holiday. Your heart's saying, boy, I just love to like, not deal with this person at work. But you do it because you want to have this image projected outside. Is that clear? Take a minute. Let's sit with that. Feel your bodies. Drop your breath in your belly. Use all the sounds to stay grounded. The people talking outside. The crickets. You're back against the chair. And as you're reflecting on these rigid places in your personality, feel the corresponding energy or blockage of energy or tightness in your body. Feel your chest. Is there anything there?
Feel your abdomen, feel your fatigue. I know everyone's tired and it's late. So keep your eyes open as you do this now so you don't start conking out. Or I'll take it personally and have to commit suicide. Anybody want to share anything? Please, let's hear. Beautiful. Well, that, beautiful. Thanks for saying that, sharing that. What you're saying, I look around this room, what I look at, I see everyone, these are nice people. You guys are like nice people. Like the archetype of all of you in here are nice people. I know underneath you might be killers, but you're nice people. You know, I used to work people in jail. They weren't nice people. I worked with junkies. They can be nice, but they've kind of lost the nicest. The archetype of the people in this room are nice people. Nice people like us feel that. So we feel angry inside bitchier, then we smile. Can I borrow your car? Sure, even though you left it without gas last time and I got that three-inch three inch scratch on it that you totally say you didn't do and there's a ticket on me and I got arrested because the ticket wasn't, oh, sure, man, you can have it. So, what would be a homework for you? A homework for you, something that I do, is when I'm stuck in a situation with people who... I might be caretaking of. I'll make a mental note. I go, this morning when I go to work, I'm going to work on this specific person who always like, does this. I'm going to do my best to be honest with them. I'll take one thing. I don't take on the whole thing. Or if my brother is doing this, or if my dad's doing that, or mother. Nighttime, I'll sit down for two seconds and be like, how did I do? And usually the first time will be a disastrous failure. I'm like, wow, you really betrayed yourself again. That was really nice. Not only you gave the car, you also gave your home. <laughs> Because one of the things happens that as soon as that idealized self-image gets threatened, the unconscious kicks in and actually brings the game up. I remember one time getting in a fight with a family member that drives me crazy. And I couldn't believe it. Like, I was pissed at something he had done. He was like, yeah, well, you know, I'm going to be around upstate, man. I was like, yeah, man, here's the key to the house. You know where I keep the keys to the house? is right up there. As I'm saying it, I'm like, I can't believe I just said that. My wife's looking at me going like, I can't believe you just said that. All right? Me and this cat have a, like a real like thing. I come into my house the next week. I come up usually Friday nights, I, I, Thursday nights. I come up and I open my door and you know energetically I'm pretty sent. I'm like, oh my god, there's somebody in the house. I'm like, full kung fu, but I'm like, I, I gotta take someone out, man. Someone's in my house. I walk out and there's a candle on. I'm like, oh, someone's in the house. This guy had come in to my house, lit a candle on my wood table and left. This is how the universe talks to you. It's like, you want to have that idealized self-image? You're so too attached to being this guy? I'm going to burn your fucking house down. We'll see how nice you are now. <laughs> it was amazing. This is where the unconscious kicks in. So when we say unconscious, it's unconscious. So, for you, take one person that's specially draining. 
and stand up a little bit and understand. People have no idea we feel the way we do because we're always doing this. Hey, man, it's fine. Sure, it's good. Fine. They don't understand inside. We're like, dun, 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 dun. So people really get shocked. So with the anger that you're feeling, people will get really shocked. People are used to you doing whatever they want, take whatever they want from you. That's what they're used to. So when this energy comes, the fear isn't just the fear of like, who am I? Which it is because it's different than who you thought you were. It's like, how am I going to fit into the world? Here's an amazing thing. Unconsciously, people start feeling when you feel that. So actually, they take their game up to their A game. When you're in a codependent relationship, this is something I've observed. I haven't done studies on it. I'm not a psychiatrist. But definitely, when you're in a relationship with someone karmically deep like that, they know right away when you're going to yank the rug on them. It's a junkie. Like, right? Like, those of you who done drugs, you knew when your like, dealer was cutting their shit with like, not good stuff. You're like, come on, man. Yeah, this is a cut. This is not good stuff. You know. So one of the fears that comes up with what you're feeling or what you're feeling is people are going to start coming after you even stronger. Right? Now, that negative pleasure we are talking about earlier, we get pleasure out of that suffering. So when you're little and you have to be that perfect girl, I have to be that perfect boy. So now, as an adult woman, as an adult man, we actually get negative pleasure out of that suffering. This is the thing that's very hard psychologically to understand. Like, why would I be in a relationship? I really want a relationship. It's a negative pleasure. Why am I with a certain type of person? I don't want to be... It's a negative pleasure. This is where you see what the unconscious is at. Make sense? You guys need a break? How are you guys feeling? No, I'm good. I'm good. You want a break? No, everyone's good? Power through? Perfect, my kind of addicts. Let's go. (laughs) All right. Questions about what we're talking about? No, I I never, like, I always had trouble with anger, you know? Mm -hmm. When you say trouble, you mean what? Like repressing it, acting it out, feeling it? Well, like, okay, my parents, I think I did have this good loving parents, you know, except like my mother's sister's husband, rough, angry, nasty. Mm-hmm. You know, like mean to things he would come out with. It was always a very difficult thing for me to go through. Mm. And whenever I meet a person like that, I'm really like, you know, it's like that type of a person. I have a hard time hard to be around. Yeah. You know, I grew up in a household where there's not a lot of anger, not a lot of yelling. And then when I get around that, it's very rough. I can, and, and, you know, it's like I've learned throughout the years, you know, pretty much, right now I'm like pretty much staying away from things like that. But, yeah, I'm always going to confront it somewhere or another. Well, it's going to, especially going to come to you if you're trying to avoid it. One thing that'd be great for you to do, there's actually two things I want to say because you brought up a good point. There's this really interesting thing, those of you therapists, you know, the 10-step desensitization. You actually visualize, let's say you're scared of flying. So it's the 10 steps. So the first step is you're booking a flight. So you kind of visualize that and you feel the anxiety till that dies. The next step is getting in the cab to go to the airport. That goes. The next step is actually going through the jerks with Tia, you know, in the airport, fingering everything in your back. So you actually do a 10-step desensitization to actually bring your body, your physical body, into contact with that emotion. So something that might be interesting for you to do is to visualize one of these people that have that anger that they throw at you and just... First, think about them over the phone conversation. Then think about them <laughs> walking into your yard. Then think about them, you know, just to work on that. Now, 
she said, I have a good upbringing. A lot of us have had decent upbringings, I could say. It's actually, yeah, I love, well, no, 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 that's great. I'm, I'm with a good group here. But, but here's the thing. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. This, is, this, is, this is actually great that you guys are saying that. But, but here's the thing. If your parents kick the shit out of you every day, that's actually easier. If you, your parents really neglect you, it's easier. When you get conditional love, a lot of people get conditional love. You understand what conditional love is? Conditional love is a tap dance. It's the monkey thing. That's what a lot of us got. So we've all had whack parents. We can say in this room, I like that that's been clarified now, so I don't, I don't, have, to, I don't have to sugarcoat it. But the conditional love stuff is actually a lot harder to see. If you were neglected, you're like, yeah, there were, there weren't home. nobody was home. When I got love, but it was like, I'm going to give you love if you do this. When you're a good boy, I love Abdi. When Abdi has a feeling, you're angry, don't even get near me. That stuff is much harder to see. That stuff is much harder to see. So something you need to examine in yourself is that story. Now remember, if you honor your parents, because you, that's a cultural thing, or you, your parents were really great, you vilify your parents, you think not talking to your parents frees you, you're ruled by your parents. You cannot bypass the parental thing. You've got to go through it, and you've got to examine it. And it's not about the parents. It's about you. But you still have to face the parents. So yeah. one thing, like for the feelings that is coming up here that you might want to do, the need practice is write a letter to yourself. You're not going to mail it. Write a letter to either one parent or the other that's really neglected you, didn't show up for you. Do that practice if you have time. You can do it for like over five minutes. You can do it tonight. Tonight you're tired. Do it tomorrow at lunchtime. Just do a little practice just to bring that out. You'd be amazed what comes out. Because at first you feel so stupid. Like, why, why am I writing this letter? But it's amazing what comes out of it. So that might be a neat practice for you especially, but for all of us who have these ideas, like my parents were this, my parents were that. Well, they really weren't. We're ruled by our parents. Till you, you know, you know that saying, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. That's if you meet your parents, kill them. But don't physically kill them because in this country anyway, you go to jail. Back home, it's like, it's all good. No, actually back home, it's worse. Um, but you do need to work on that, because the crazy thing is how much of them is in us. Like, that's the crazy thing with people. Like, people who, like, especially people who hate their parents, it's like, well, they are the parent. All the time, I treat people like, man, I'm done with my parents. I've never dealt with them. They're done. It's like, wow, you are your parent. And then the older you get, the more you become that parent, and the more blind you're to it. I decided yes and no. There are things that I'm not my parents about, and there's mm -hmm. things that I am my parents about. As long as you're not ruled by it, we're all good. The question is what you're ruled by and what you're not ruled by. Now, I have to, it has to naturally be. You know what I mean? Like, it has to naturally be. Like, it's not on purpose and it's not, not on purpose. It's just the way it is. What do you I, mean? I, like, I don't, feel, I don't feel like I can't do things because my parents were maybe some things that I do. Yeah, it's not, look, there, there's, can't refuse things. There's, no, there's no right or wrong here. The, right. the question is, is that affecting your life in any way and is it possible that you're not seeing it and I'm just telling you as someone who's been in people's heads for a long time it is possible just be open to the possibility there are things that you might not see that might be affecting you in adverse ways or stopping certain things coming in and maybe not maybe you've done the work or maybe it wasn't an issue just all I'm saying is be open to the possibility now everybody's good with this we're, we're, we're clear so far good uh, make sure, like, <laughs> feel, feeling the vibe from this corner, man. Well, after this, we're going to throw down three rounds with the teacher. Um, so, 
we can go many places with the stuff we're working with. Some of you, most of you have read the book. I don't want to just go over the stuff with the book, but if you have questions about it, guide this. This, this is for you. And remember, the energy right now, we're all together. We're cooking. So it's almost like even not as relevant what we're talking about. You're with that? You guys feeling that? You've made the time. You've showed up for yourselves. Intentions are really powerful. It's actually a good time to talk about that. But I want to talk about something else first, but we'll talk about that. Intentions is you, your unconscious, and your conscious mind getting together. I'm sure you all had better things to do on one of the last weekends in the summer, which is so gorgeous outside, to come and sit with this bald brown guy, whatever he's rapping about. What? But you made that intention. Even if I sat here and just talked about cars, which I would really love to do. If we can go into that if you want, we can talk about mechanics. You would get transformation because you've made that intention for yourself to show up. We never make that intention for ourselves on that level, especially in the unknown thing, especially because your unconscious knew that this would not be fun on some level. That would be scary. Once you're in it, it's okay, and it's like, oh, it's not that bad, but it's like taking that first step is really deep. So I'll say that. Actions and intentions. You can take the same action with one intention, have a totally different result than taking that same exact action with a different intention. I can help you because I'm a caretaker and it'll totally damage you and literally get you addicted to something. I can take care of you because my enlightenment is intertwined with yours. It's not going to drain me. You'll totally get a lot out of it. Actions and intentions are very important at this time. Be very clear about what the intention behind your action is. Is that clear? It's ask because this is a really important one. Intentions and actions. So, your car breaks down. The action is I'm going to give you a ride to your home in Phoenicia. One action is with the intention of I'm, it's on my way. I really, you're a good friend. I want to help you out. I'm going to take you. The other action is oh my God, I feel so responsible. I really got to go home. I got to make it home because my wife's going to be pissed and my dog's got to get fed. I'm going to do it because I, I got to do it. I, it's just. Same action, you get dropped off home. One of them is going to be clean, I'm home, hey honey, I'm home. The other is like, I'm agitated, I'm angry, I'll hit a deer on the way home. Because the intention wasn't really clear. I didn't have the courage to say, I'd love to give you that ride, I actually have to be home because my dog's starving and I can't do it. But my idealized self-image was like, I got to be good. Does that make sense? So make sure, it's not like you don't help people, you help people. Make sure your intention is really clear under whatever you're doing. That intention-action thing is really, really important. It's a good way to get in touch with your anger. It'll, it'll, right away, it'll put you in touch with it. Here's the thing that I've learned. When you do something from that other intention, the not inten right intention, always is damaging because basically you're playing someone's higher power. I've been in many relationships where I've used my psychic powers or my financial whatever to help the person, quote-unquote, which was very damaging because what I was doing was keeping myself from being intimate by using these gifts as ways of controlling someone. And somebody outside looking in would be like, wow, what a nice guy. He's helped this girl go to college. What a nice guy. Actually, I was making myself that person's higher power. You, no one's going to take care of you. I'm God. So it's a very damaging relationship. I'm not a new agey guy. So I will preface this next comment I'm going to make. But for a fact, I know and I've seen it in my life. When you come to me and you need something from me, I don't have it in me to give it to you. I honestly say that to you. I would love to be there. I can't be there. The right thing will come up immediately for you. And that will actually be a correct thing that will be win, 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 win. 
because there'll be somebody else that's got to help you. They really need to help you to learn something. I learn by saying that even though I feel horrible because you're a nice guy, I want to be there for you. I don't have it in me. You get a great lesson of trusting. Well, it's not about this guy. This is not the universe works in every, through everyone. For the nice people in this room, this is a big one, the intention action. It's huge. It's huge. This is something, again, that I've just learned over the years. It's been like, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I don't have it in me. I have no energy left. I do it. Then I crash my bike on the way home, break something. I'm like, I knew I shouldn't have done it. I didn't have the courage to say, man, I don't do it. Why didn't I have the courage? Because I don't trust in the universe. Because when I was a little kid, it wasn't safe. When you were a little kid, it wasn't safe. When you were a little kid, it wasn't safe. Definitely wasn't safe. Maybe it was safe. It wasn't safe to be like, I can't do this. Wasn't allowed, but remember, as a child, you were going to die. This again goes back to the feeling. As kids, it's not like us. Right now, you're going to say, Abdi, I fucking hate you because you're bald. <laughs> it's going to hurt my feelings. We all like to be liked, right? But it's not going to kill me. As a child, it literally is going to feel like death. That, that's a literal thing. It's hard for the adults sitting in here. We're very armored. We're very armored. Right now, we're tough. Think of a baby's skin. The baby, this would be too cold for a baby. You're sitting here with a shirt, you're fine. The stuff that we're talking about on that deep level is really scary to the child. Mm -hmm. That's why we keep piling this stuff on until we're dying inside. This idealized self-image, look at this country. It's really great to look at this stuff again on a macro level. The country's falling apart, right? Mm -hmm. Infrastructure's falling apart. No work. Economy is going to shit. We're still acting this idealized self-image. We're this big, badass cop around the world. We can't take care of people here. We're like, we'll do this, we'll do that. They're printing money like it's going out of style. Economy is great, man. That's the idealized self-image. What's the reality? Well, it is. Idealized self-image is blind because it, it, it can't be propagated infinitely. At some point, it'll break down. As a human being, you'll get sick. You'll have an accident. You'll have a divorce. Blah, blah, blah. As a culture, as a nation, is what's happening. Right? You're like doing all this crazy stuff out there, like things are falling apart inside. And the myth keeps getting perpetuated. We do it, culture does it. I'm fine, I'm fine. Dude, you don't look well. No, I'm fine, I'm fine. You're like enraged, ready to kill someone. I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm going to heal some more people this week. How? Now it's about surrender. This is like the worst thing the ego wants to do. In my experience, no one surrenders till they get a two by four upside their head after a taser gun, once a dart gun's gone in, and have drank some poison. We don't like to surrender. Life has to pummel you to surrender. So there is the ego's wishes, there's the soul's directive. And that's where these things don't match. What's your definition of ego? Definition of ego is, right now, my pants and my shirt are my ego. There's something that I'm wearing to protect what's inside. If over time... I wear this shirt for 48 years, day in, day out. I'm going to think this shirt's me, this pants me. It's got a function. Right. Walking butt naked really won't fly. I'll probably fly in Omega, but in most places, <laughs> most places, most places it's not going to fly, right? So if I confuse this with myself, that's the problem. Then I start taking care of this, and also by the pants me, while the body inside is rotting. The ego is this structure that you need to function in the world. You just can't identify it with all the time. My car is like my ego. It had a function. It brought me here. It's going to take me home. If I try to drive my car into my bedroom, that's being an egomaniac. You have to differentiate from it. Now, 
what's a healthy ego? A healthy ego is that, it's like the relationship with the clothes. I can wear it, it can be nice, doesn't offend people, it's fun to do it, but I know when to take it off. I'm not identified with it. That's a healthy ego. This whole thing, get rid of your ego, well, you'll be in a mental institution. People get rid of their egos are not fully here. You have an unformed ego. Now, let's take one second and talk about drugs here a second. The big thing that people are doing now is ayahuasca. Used to be mushrooms, used to be... These are these hallucinogens that break down the ego. Once you open the ego in a controlled environment, that's your absolute self. So let's make a definition here. One of the biggest confusions... If I tell you again, it's one of those things, if you kind of think about this. It took me like years to figure this out, more like 25 years. Absolute, phenomenal. People say God. I don't really, for me, I don't have a use for that term, but it's not like if you believe in God or whatever. For me, God is us. It's very interesting. People do ayahuasca, they go, I am God. No, you're a jackass. Because when you're doing ayahuasca, you think you're God. God is you. If you say to me, God is me, I'm all good. Because that means there was no you. Because really there is no you. If you say to me, I am God, that's pretty much every spiritual teacher. It's like you have these awakenings. That happened to me. I had these experiences at 13, at 18. I was like, oh, I'm a realized being. I had these experiences of oneness. I'm like, then I just make a mess out of my life because my ego took that experience and ran away with it. So instead of saying God, I use the word absolute. Absolute is who you were before you were born, who you are after you die, who you are right now. When you do ayahuasca, that's the experience of the absolute. When you have that moment of beauty, childbirth, it's the absolute. Oh my God. Under the absolute, everything is fine. There's no problems. No one's being born. No one's dying. All the suffering is a dream. You don't really stay there. If you're a realized being, you might. Phenomenal is everything else. This weekend is phenomenal. There's a lot of workshops in this place. They're phenomenal experiences. That bookstore. Million things, beautiful things. People confuse the phenomenal for the absolute. Again, I have no qualms. If you're not in pain, if you're having fun here, I'm all for it. Great. Be in phenomenal and play. Just do me a favor. If you're doing the phenomenal thinking you're in the absolute, that's bullshit. If you're in the phenomenal having pain, telling me you're having fun, that's bullshit. If you think the phenomenal is going to take you to the absolute, mm, probably not true either. The ego is very tricky. It will use all phenomenal experiences not to get to the absolute. Because when you get to the absolute, the ego can't walk in there. Right? I can take a shower with my clothes. I'm not going to get really clean. I've got to take my clothes off to get into the shower. If my clothes had a way of talking, they'd be like, dude, you don't need a shower. You smell great. That's no, good. People are just stepping away just because they're weird. You're fine. You don't smell. It's going to do whatever I have to do not to take my clothes off. That's the function of the ego. How is the ego related to the inner critic? The inner critic is a part of that. So the inner critic, the ego functions, one of the things that the ego does is it wants to have like dominance over everything. I'm perfect, I have no needs. I'm... Inner critic is a part of that energy of, and it connects to that idealized self-image. Right. So one of the things that happens is, it's a great question, let me back up. As a kid you have to be perfect, blah, 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 blah the idealized self-image comes out. So this shirt has to be exactly like this if it's like this. The inner critic is the part when you can't match reality to the idealized self-image. The inner critic kicks in. What are you doing? Are you crazy? You're an asshole. Like, you, you can't do that. What are you talking about? That asana is so wrong. Everybody else is doing it right. You're the only idiot who can't do it right. What is it really saying? 
you have to get in line with that idealized self-image. I'm really scared. All this stuff comes down to fear and love. Fear and love. It's like the only, everything else in the middle. But if you act like you're a lovest and you're smiling all the time, you can't get there. You can only get there by healing these things. How do you heal it? That letter. How do you heal it? What she's experiencing. How do you heal it? What she became aware of. I'm angry, man. It's, it's scary. I'm, yeah, I'm really scared to be angry. One of the things, again, the archetype in this room of these nice people that we are is having needs. We can't have needs. So part of the inner critic is anytime you have a need, don't you dare have a need. Push it away because it's very scary. Or it might be just be needy. Don't ever be in your power. Right? There's a flip side to all this stuff. Like people have this thing. So for me as a caretaker, all my relationships was with people who needed care. So their thing was like, I'm going to do this, be like a crippled old person when I'm 20. You be this, and we're going to play this game. And like, it's really fun for about five minutes. And then it's like, I want to kill this girl. And he's like, I want to kill this guy. And it just gets... Well, you can do therapy. Here's the interesting thing. We, there's, there's a section I want to talk about relationships, but we'll, I'll say this to you right now. In relationships, whether they're love relationships, work relationships, we pick up where we left off. Whatever you haven't healed, you're going to go. So it's not, you can change shirts. Your smell is going to stay with you. If you notice, for some people it's through work, for some people it's through friendships, for some people it's love relationships. Whatever is unresolved inside of you, you will repeat it in the next relationship. Why? Your unconscious is attracted to someone who's got the same issues till you learn to heal that. Your conscious mind is not privy to that. Right? You can have three people. One's nine feet tall, one's six feet tall, one's three feet tall. You're going to go after the one that's got the same issues that you're trying to heal. Because your unconscious will keep pulling it in front of you to heal it. Your conscious mind is going, what? Yeah. You, we'll get into that with the relationship stuff, but that's that, that part of it. Makes sense. It's, it, look at your experiences. Look at your experiences in life. You'll be confronted with that, right? Yes, except that the conscious mind is not aware. The conscious mind goes like, I can't believe my bad luck. Like for me, I went from like, you know, Japanese girlfriend, I don't know, like American. Like it was the same girl. I was like, oh my God, how is this possible? This is like people talk about manifestation. Like you can kiss my ass because I don't know many people that manifest, but you do manifest this stuff. The stuff that you want is much harder to manifest. The stuff you don't want, that's where the work is. That stuff keeps coming over and over and over. If you, you know, I'm not going to be in a relationship. I'm, I'm actually going to not try to be in a relationship. Every client that comes into your office, if you're a healer, will be that energy. Okay, you're not a healer. You're a business person. Every boss, every assistant will be that energy. The unconscious is amazing that way. I'll pull it in. How's everybody doing? Good, half dozing. Drop in a second. Keep your spine straight. Keep your chin a little bit down and in. Beautiful, everyone's actually looks great. If you tilt your chin too far out, you'll get too heady. Your mind will actually think. If you put your chin too far down, you can get tired. So keeping that neutral thing and actually lifting from the base of your skull will really just help. Again, tune into the sounds.
hear the voices. Let your breath come in and out naturally. And as you're sitting here, get a feeling. What would this room here if you weren't here? What are the noises in this room when this room is empty? Get the feeling of what it's like when you're pure consciousness and not this body. Gently open your eyes and come back in a room. Could you feel that? What it feels like for this room to hear the sounds if you weren't here? Don't have to lie. Didn't feel anything. It's a good ego-dissolving exercise. Once in a while you kind of can hit on it, where actually your consciousness, your awareness, but you're not really aware of your body or your ego, but you're totally present. It's sort of like that ayahuasca experience without the ayahuasca. With practice, you can actually drop into that. It kind of melts everything down.
it's hard to do. I mean, it's very perfect right now because our egos are very upside down. It's a room you're not usually in, group you're not familiar with, sitting position you're not used to, time of the night when you're usually not up doing this kind of stuff. So the ego is more loose. Tomorrow when we come back already you'll be more fortified, so we're going to have to get the chisels out. But this time of the night is a really good time to play with these energies. Did anybody feel anything with that? Yeah. No right or wrong here. Play with that energy. It can be very profound. You just sit, then just a couple of minutes. I find with meditation, it's not, there's sometimes when you can really drop in long periods of time. It doesn't take much. What I tell all my clients is if you can really practice five minutes a day, but every day, five minutes, just everything we just did, it'll change everything. All that anger, everything you really know and is a knowingness of what the next level is in your life. For a lot of us right now, anybody who thinks they know where they're going, good luck. We all have to really surrender right now. And the more you can soften and listen to that inner knowingness, you're fine. The less you do that, you're going to get pummeled. Any questions? About anything? Food at Omega? Very good. Excellent. I haven't tried it yet. What else do I want to tell you before I let you go today? You got a little bit more in you? You're like, I want to go home, man. <laughs> well, we might as well hit this with right now. We're at Omega. Spirituality is entertainment. It's a great American thing. Our culture will turn anything into entertainment. We've got prison shows about entertainment. Like, blows my mind. We've got dating as entertainment. What else we got entertainment? Well, it's like there's all these things on entertainment, right? People making fools of themselves in entertainment. It's an amazingly American thing, which is very beautiful on one level, the fact that we can be loose and not so uptight like so many cultures, but it can also lend itself to this kind of craziness. So one of the things, and we'll talk about it more tomorrow, is how spirituality has become entertainment in this culture. da 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 da, -da. Something you should be like, trepidation, like your experience, your experience. I'm coming here, I didn't really know, I was a little scared. That's real, because you're really doing inner work. If you're like, whoa, this is great, what's happening? I say this all the time when people do ayahuasca. It was a part of my training. Very dangerous business, because it's entertainment. For some people, they have a moment of feeling the absolute at a very high cost of their body-mind, and then they come back. Instead of trying to get there through regular practice, but the other thing is it's fun. It, it breaks the monotony. But that's sort of like using a samurai sword to shave. It can be done. They're pretty sharp. You will take a finger at least. On the best of days, you take a digit off, usually a nose or an ear. So that's a big thing in our culture. I kind of look at catalogs. And again, what we're talking about, absolute phenomenal. You're having fun? Awesome, man. It, it really, like... For those of us, I can look around this room. We were like little adults. Like when I look at all of you, all of you, from what I can see, we're like three years old, we're like 40. Because you had to be grown-ups. It's great to have fun. Don't confuse it. It's actually so much more helpful to your ego. Say, you know, I'm going to go this week and have some fun. I don't want to meditate. I don't want to wash my butt with this waxy thing that's going to make my... No, I just want to go have some fun. Great. Don't think, 
I'm going to have this ayahuasca experience and I'm just going to really get enlightened because you're not. And by the way, with those experiences, you've done them once, you're good. That's it. You get a taste. Well, you realize, you see, for most of us, it's good to know what the absolute feels like or what this thing, when the ego is not in place, is a very liberating feeling. But when I hear people that go like, man, I had the greatest ayahuasca experience, I'm like, man, the first 20 times I did that thing, I was shitting myself. My teacher would make us fast and throw us in a dark room and close the door. I was like terrified. I just would smell. I, mean, I don't understand. People go, I'm having a great time. I'm like, if you're having a great time, forget about it. It's not, it's not serving any purpose. It's a high cost. It's not serving any purpose. Do you understand what I'm saying? If it's scaring you, it means something's getting threatened. For me, I had these sort of openings when I was younger. I was like, hey, man, great. I, I want to know the divine. I'm ready to go. Ayahuasca was really great for me because it showed me how arrogant I was. I literally shit myself the first time. It was so scary. I was, my mind was holding on to everything I knew because it was a dying experience. That's why it's called a dying experience. Your ego doesn't want to die. So it's great to have an understanding of that once. Second time was a little bit less scary, but still scary. The last time when I did it where I wasn't really moved one way, I was like, I'm done with this thing. Is it fun? Sure, it's fun. I mean, doing coke is fun. What's the price? Those of you who've done drugs, I mean, eating sugar is fun. What's the price? Well, you know it's not so fun because how much do people try to stop and, you know, there's always a reason. It's, it's, it's not so fun because you know it's not so, you know that there's something bad and wrong about it. Yes. I mean, there's... You need to stop it. Yes, right? but you don't stop it exactly because of what you're saying. Yeah. Because the fun factor, I mean, I'm being facetious with fun, but it's actually denial. That's what the fun factor is. Like, people really don't have an understanding energetically. When you do ayahuasca, shamanically, if we just did it in this room, we don't know each other, you get tons of stuff dumped into the room. Those of you energy healers understand that. That stuff can get stuck to anyone. That stuff's not a joke. Right now, in this room, these eyes, these ears, this nose, this mouth, this brain, it's picking up less than 3% of electromagnetic phenomena that's happening in this moment. That means you're blind. You wouldn't make one investment decision knowing 3% of something. You wouldn't buy a car knowing 3% of something. You wouldn't buy a shirt knowing 3% of something. Yet we make these decisions that affect us. All the time I treat people who have these experiences, I'm like pulling stuff off of them energetically. And people think like it's no big deal. It's a big deal. As you fine hone these senses, they're real. There's a reason you can walk into a room and you're like, whoa. This room here, there was workshops down here. I came here an hour early. I saged it. I used bells to clear the energy. I walk in, people have processed in here. Well, I don't want to sit in that. Do you want to sit in that? No. You might think you don't feel it. Trust me, you'll have a very different experience than you're having right now. That's what meditation is every morning. You're clearing that energy. So going back to spirituality and entertainment, be aware of that in this culture. Understand, are you really after the absolute? And if you're not into the absolute, don't worry about it. No, no, everyone's going there. You're going to wake up. 100 lifetimes, 10,000 lifetimes. Somebody asked the Buddha, how long is it going to take time to wake up? He says, you see that bird? He says, yeah. He says, that mountain? Yeah. You got two birds and they got a silk scarf between their beaks. The number of times it's going to take for these birds to fly back and forth to wear down this mountain the number of lifetimes it's going to take for you to wake up. When you hear that, you're like, oh my God, that's such a bummer. But it's a great thing for the ego to hear. Because the second you let it go, it's all good. And remember, 
Some of you in here I know are running after awakening and enlightenment with like full on. When you're awake, you don't taste things the way you do. So taste things right now. When you were poor, you didn't have money. When I didn't have money, I really wanted things. I had such a different experience with having a nice meal. Not that I can afford a four-star restaurant. It doesn't have the same charge. You understand? Because it's like, okay, you had that meal five times. You're going to have it. But when you can't eat, you're like, I can't wait to get that man and have a nice steak. Oh, it'll be so awesome. Or whatever, a piece of tofu, whatever your thing is. Like dinner tonight. When I got to the mess hall, that tasted good. <laughs> well, but the point is, <laughs> the point is that right. if you have that full awakening, it's not that same experience. Because when you're everything, what is there to be? The whole experience here is like, I'm different. So, wow, that girl's cute. That guy is cute. That girl's cute. That guy is cute. Because I'm separate than you. If I'm you, I'm me. I don't go like, man, this is really cute. My hands are really cute. The whole experience is differentiation. So understand as you're running towards this awakening, enjoy your life. The whole point of this thing is like, what I try to bring for people is a little bit of peace and serenity so they can taste things. Because we don't taste it. I've watched people who had nothing make their first couple of hundred grand. They got more miserable. Than, it's like a joke, but it's a joke. These archetypes, these fairy tales, they're real because they're all of us. Because we get more, but we taste less. Right? You know, that the, the, yeah, exactly. the, in Buddhism, there's this beautiful image of, I always talk about this, the hungry ghost. It's this yeah. ghost with a big belly with a pinprick right. for a mouth. We all, we, are, we, we are them. We, we don't meet them. We are them. We shove more in our... Not, nothing, yeah, well, nothing feeds it. So, on this closing, as we close tonight, taste your life. This thing I'm telling you, feel your body, taste it. I read something like that this morning. I mean, a book, um, Buddhism for Busy People. Mm-hmm. And the, what I read this morning was something like that, how people make more and more money and then... There's a reason there's all these fairy tales and archetypes about them because right. they're real. And it's not like money is great. I love money. It's not, I'm not saying... No, but the point is taste what you have because people don't taste. Because if you are, all of us are honest, your simplest times in your life were the most fun. The more complicated things got, the less you tasted things. It's a real mastery to have full abundance and to be able to taste it. Right? To really taste it. When I had one bike, I'm a motorcycle freak. I've lived on them since I was 12 years old. I take them. I love them. When I had one bike, I loved this thing because all day long it was me and this thing and I worked on it. And I have four bikes. Race bike this, dirt bike that. It's a different experience. I don't have that same. It, it can be. You can't have that passion for that many things. Keep it simple. So while you're waking up, if you're in pain, use some of the stuff. You're not in pain, great. Just come and just laugh at the stuff we're going to talk about tomorrow. Do your work. And if you don't want to do your work, that's fine. Then take responsibility for being in pain. Fair enough? Yeah, please. I think what I'm understanding you saying, there's a collective experience, Yes. and then there's the individual experience within that collective experience. Yes. And we are each other's mirror? We, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's... So you're my projection. Well, we put... part of me I deny Deny, accept, put up. It can be all of it. We, we all, I mean, really, it's this. You see this finger? This is the state we're in right now. This is you. This is me. This is him. This is her. Awakening is this. All along is the same hand. While you're in this state, this is here. So when Buddha says if you get mad at someone, it's like picking up a piece of hot coal to throw at them. He's talking literal. Because anyone who has this experience realizes all these things. Be kind to one another. It's not be kind to one another. 
Is this finger going to hurt this finger? When it's here, it's going to hurt it and not realize it's one. All this stuff about this karma, it's one hand. So this is the collective. This is the individual, the hand covering it. We get peaks of it. Ayahuasca is this. Oh my God, it's all one. It's all okay. Here's like, oh my God, it's separate. Watch this finger. It's going to attack this one. This one's bad. This one's taller than this one. So that's... that's the confusion, mm-hmm. or, or the, the way the ego keeps itself in check, is like this young woman when she was saying she was getting in touch with anger. I don't have that problem. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Mm-hmm. So I can't... I can relate to her only because I'm listening to her. Mm-hmm. So the but, ego would say that's difference, that's the separation you're talking about. Yes. Now remember what we talked about with emotions. There's three things that can happen with emotions. There are those that repress them, and then it pops up. There are those that actually get stuck in them or in them all the time. That'd be me. might be you. Easy for me to get angry. But feel grief, or that might be more difficult. But, 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 there, but there are pieces. Like, not, like everyone has aspects of us, because it's all one. But certain people, if they trigger you, if it's not your issue, you're not going to be triggered by that. If that's my issue, I'm going to be triggered by it. I'll be like, what a weakling. I can't believe she's feeling anger. <laughs> right? I'd be like, I can't believe. Get, get a hold of yourself, man. Jesus. What a God, loser. Judgment. 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 And we're going to actually get into the judgment part because the judgment... That's a drug. Well, that's a drug, and that's where you see where the shadow exists. If you don't own it, it owns you. So the judgment thing, which we'll talk about tomorrow, that's where you see. People are going to have no shadow. I have no... Like, really? Anything you judge. Anything. People, places, cultures, countries, presidents, ba 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 It's because you have it in you. Are you comfortable with your anger, it looks like? looks like you're comfortable with anger. Are you speaking to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honey, I've been dating my anger. For I can tell. That you, it feels like you've been engaged. You know? It feels like, like you kind of, I don't know if I can say this right, I could be totally wrong that you accept anger within yourself, that you, it's just a part of, like it's an emotion that you're very familiar with, that you, like you're I would, more comfortable with it than some other people. I actually want to interrupt that. I want everybody to keep their experiences to themselves. Okay. So yeah. nobody take anybody's inventories yeah. here. So just have your own experience. No, nothing personal, yeah, no, but... No. This stuff gets very hot, so really, really stay in your own experience. And if you're going to share over the next couple of days, I want it to be about the whole group. So I don't want to get into single-person therapy. I want you to share stuff that applies to the group because it gets really heavy. Right, because if, if I'm looking at her, I'm sorry to keep pointing out. What, what is your name? Philomena. Philomena? Yeah, like Philomena. 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 Yeah. Uh, Philomena's issue is anger. Yes. The, the awareness that her anger is coming up at yes. makes her uncomfortable. For me, it's vulnerability. Sure. So it's the same thing, just has a different name. Well, not necessarily. It's the same thing, and it's the, it's the same system at work, but it's a different aspect of it. For you, it's the color blue. For her, it's the color red. Right. But it's the same thing. Now, the vulnerability, by the way, yeah. that is everyone. The vulnerability, well, I mean, we're going to talk about that more. If I could say one thing we're absolutely all scared of is being vulnerable. And the more rap you have about, I want to be vulnerable, the more scared you are. We will defend it to death. I've actually seen people with my own eyes. I've had this conversation. I'm like, you're dying from this disease. It's because you don't want to be vulnerable. You can change this. People will choose death, and they will die. This idealized self-image business, it's serious business. It's not a joke. It's not some cute thing. It's very deep. It runs very strong. We'll protect it. So the vulnerability thing that you're talking about, that's every single person in this room. That's the stuff that keeps it. Like, 
I have people who really work hard on having a relationship, and that's a lot of us. They, they can't be in a relationship where the relationship doesn't fit is because they don't want to be vulnerable. But it's not that they don't want to be vulnerable, the unconscious. If that kid was vulnerable, that kid would have died. I'm going to do anything not to be vulnerable. So the vulnerability thing, that's the ultimate spiritual experience. When you see these masters, men and women, they kind of almost look like kids. That vulnerability, that's, that's, there's nothing to defend. The undefended self, that's the ultimate goal that we're pointing towards. All right, everyone. Pay attention to your dreams tonight. If you, if you have a little book or something, I mean, really write it down and bring it because it's, it's, it's for everyone. And be gentle. This stuff churned up a lot of stuff. There's a lot, you're all very powerful people. A lot of energies are getting churned up here. Keep your intentions of what we're going to keep it. Actually, you can keep it in here. I think it'd be good to keep it in the room. Just keep the energy on your pillow. And then you want to add stuff to it, you can. Or, you know, some of you are writing damn novels here. So, well done. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow.